the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in this series called The Storyteller. It's the parables of Jesus. Pastor Sean is teaching from Matthew chapter 18 with the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's a message on forgiveness. If you're in a place where maybe you can't sleep, maybe you're drowning in bitterness or anger, or find it hard to breathe sometimes, well, it's time to be set free and forgive. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free, but if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today it's part one of the message called The Heart That Forgives. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. Now one of the things I've noticed about these parables as we walk through the storyteller is that there's, they often begin with a question. It's a question and, and it's like instead of just giving an answer, it's like, you know, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, instead of saying, well, there could be a lot of people, you know, God created, and, and instead of kind of going into that, Jesus gives them the good Samaritan. I mean, do you, want, do you realize the power of that? I just wonder if he had those stories, like did he practice them as a kid or did he make them up when he was a kid so he knew them? You know, I kind of always try to have a, a teaching or two ready in case someone asked me to speak last minute or something. I've got a few in the file there. I've got them on the iPad, right? Well, Jesus didn't have an iPad and I doubt he carried a file around. I really wonder when they first asked the question, had he thought about this? Had he... Or did he just, because he was brilliantly creative and a masterful communicator, just tell the story? When you stop and think about it, that, that, that's how he answered the question, who's my neighbor? And the Good Samaritan pops out. A story we're telling again, and it's people still looking at, and we're analyzing and kind of sharing 2,000 years later. That is powerful communication. Remember, that's what the parables are. They are stories designed to communicate a truth. And what we've seen is that the beauty of the parables is that we get to look at all different kinds of truths that kind of are related to that question. It's like, it's like looking at a gem from different angles and the different ways the light hit, hits it. It's all the same stone. It's the same truth, but we get to see different facets of it. And they're powerful. And, and what's interesting about these stories of Jesus, when he answers the question, you really don't forget so any of us could, someone says to me, well, yeah, I know, love your neighbor, but who, who really does that mean? Who's my neighbor? You think you can answer the question? I could, because I remember the story. And today we're going to see Jesus has asked a question, and he tells one of these stories, and it's really memorable. Matthew chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? Here's the question. Peter came up. And said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, what's interesting is 
that kind of think, okay, where'd this question come from? Why did Peter come up and ask this? Now, we know this is part of Matthew 18. In Ma- there's that passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about in the body if someone sins against you, how to go and how to come to reconciliation and restore relationships. So it's a, if you've ever, you know, kind of been in a, a relational issue in the context of church, maybe you've heard of Matthew 18 process. And so it's right after that that Peter comes up and asks that question. So it could be kind of a theological question, but you kind of almost get the picture that maybe there's something going on. I mean, this isn't in the Bible or anything, but you just wonder, was Peter, when he asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Was he sitting there looking at Matthew? How many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? And what's funny is when you read it, kind of in the context, he's kind of being generous when he offers seven times. You know, he's being gregarious. You know, he didn't want to be one of those judgmental hard guys. So, you know, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus' answer is really instructive. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. And, and what's, this is a little bit of a translation problem. If you've read it in different translations, you know, some say 77. And they'll all have a note to this effect. Some say 77, and some say 70 times 7. Because in, it could be translated either way from the Greek. It could be 77s or 77. It's not crystal clear. Either way, Jesus isn't like giving a number that you can kind of count up and and save it up and be ready, you know, when when you get there. It's not, it's 77 or 490. He's not doing that. He's not sitting there so that the the kind of scorekeepers among us can go, 77, oh yeah, that's number 68. That's 68, getting close. We're down to single digits now. 77's coming. And, and you know, I mean, we can do that. We can, we can be scorekeepers when it comes to forgiveness. And it's like, okay, I want to do what Jesus says. I want to be obedient, but, man, I want to blast them so bad, and I want to cut them off, and I want to be done with this. Because they keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again. They keep saying that thing. They keep bringing that up. Just as soon as I think I've forgiven and I've kind of put it aside, okay, I've moved on, I've released them, they, they call me up. Or I run into them. Or it's Thanksgiving and there they are. And they do it all over again. And now I'm crazy again for two months. You laugh because you've been there. See, Jesus is not giving us the excuse that says, well, here's how much and then no more. And the reason we know that is the story he tells kind of really is the answer. This is simply an illustration. The answer is this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Isn't this interesting? In, the, in relation to a question about forgiveness, Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. Because we're supposed to be citizens of the kingdom. We're walking by a different set of rules. We have a different king, different culture. And he says, so you want to know about forgiveness? You've got to understand the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Stop. Just, I don't know if you remember when we talked about the talents a few weeks ago. A talent was a lot of money. It was actually originally a weight. And they would say a talent of gold or a talent of silver. Okay? But at a certain point, it became almost an amount of resource. And it was a lot. Remember we said the guy with one talent had quite a bit. The guy with 10 had a fortune. 
10,000 talents is a ridiculous amount of money. Scholars vary. They'll say, some say hundreds of millions. Some even say billions of dollars that this could represent. So Jesus is making up a huge, he's making a huge point here by saying this is an insurmountable amount that none of us could pay back. He owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children, all that he had, and payment to be made. In other words, that to go towards the debt, which would have been just a drop in the bucket. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Which, of course, we know it's 10,000 talents. It's a massive sum of money. He's not going to be able to. This is good intentions at best. Have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, and I want you to see here compassion. Out of compassion, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, and he forgave him the debt. In other words, it wasn't just, all right, I'll give you more time, or you know what, I'll shave some off, or I'll meet you halfway. He forgave the debt. You owed a fortune, and now you owe nothing. It's covered, it's paid. He forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was like a day's wage for a regular working guy, you know, so I don't even know. You know, you think about three months, a little more wage, 6,000, 8,000, 9,000, whatever, for, for just a workman. It, that, that's, it, it was a sum. It was not an insignificant sum. It was significant, but it was, a, it was pennies compared to what he'd been forgiven. So he found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So he's serious. Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? He refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. How's he going to pay the debt if he's in prison? It's kind of like a life sentence. I love that Jesus included this part. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. I mean, they're, they're appalled. They knew what he'd been given and they saw this. They were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that we would hear you and be open to what you want to say. Give us the courage to listen and the strength to walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Senior Pastor Sean Azaro a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called The Heart That Forgives in the series The Storyteller, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Again, find that Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 
302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, The Heart That Forgives. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. Now, it's important to point out, this is, begins by talking about the community of faith. Remember what Peter said? How many times should I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So it starts in this context. Jesus had been talking out of Matthew 18 about, about how brothers should resolve conflict. And it, so the, this whole context is kind of in the community of faith. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't apply outside of the community of faith. But I think it's instructive for us to recognize, no, that's specifically the context within which this teaching happens. So we don't know what the limit Jesus, Jesus gives this kind of, not seven times, but 77 or 77s either. What he's saying is perpetual forgiveness. He's not really setting a limit. You have this massive debt, millions, even billions of dollars. The, just the amount, to obviously illustrate a point, the wicked servant must have been stealing from his master to accumulate that kind of debt. Nobody loans that kind of money. So the idea was he was embezzling, and he's completely forgiven this massive debt. And then he runs into a guy who owes him a few thousand bucks and has him thrown in prison. This would be like, I mean, for us, it's like hard to even relate, put ourselves into this story. And I think with the parables, we're supposed to put ourselves in the story. Just, just imagine you lose your job, and it goes months, long time, without any pay. And it gets, starts to get really bad. You know, you, you lose a car, you know, you're having a hard time buying groceries, folks help you out with food and things like that, but you start getting notices from the bank on the mortgage, and two months, four months, six months, and they're now threatened to foreclose, and you go in and talk to the bank, and there's some representative there talking to you, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do, you've got to pay this, or we're going to have to foreclose. But the owner of the bank happens to walk by, and he overhears it, and he taps the representative on the shoulder, and he steps out, and he takes his place. He says, I, I overheard what was happening. He says, um, I have the ability to do this, and I want you to know we're going to forgive your mortgage. I, I heard what your story is, and I'm sorry you're walking through that, and I just, I just feel like we should do that. We're going to forgive your mortgage. We're going to pay the debt. How would you feel walking out of that bank? You're about to lose your house, and instead you walk out owning your house clear and free. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? In fact, I'm going to go visit my bank on Tuesday just to see. I don't know. I, you, you have not because you asked not. I'm just going to ask. You don't, you don't know. You don't know. But, I mean, that would be an incredible feeling when you leave the bank. It would just be like, like you know, I mean, it would be incredible. And then you see someone owes you a few hundred bucks. 
and you go start screaming and thumping on them. I've been calling you and you've been dodging me. And that's what, that's what Jesus is telling. See, what he's saying is there's something broken there. There's something broken in the person who has been forgiven that amount and is so unforgiving for something so small and menial. And any of us would obviously see that. There's something broken in the person who can't forgive when they've been forgiven so much. It's almost like there's a disconnect. The characters in the story are obviously representative of the characters in a much larger story. The king represents God who has forgiven us so much. The wicked servant, well, that's us. We're the forgiven. We're supposed to put ourselves in that place. The fellow servant is people who've sinned against us. They've offended us. Doesn't... could be in the past, could be people we work with, could be someone in our family, could be some relationship. They've sinned against us, they've hurt us, they've wounded us. The other servants represent the community around us. And it's important because they have a role. What we see as we walk through this whole story is the question, remember what the question was? How many times should I forgive? The answer is not 77 or 77s, 490. The answer is, how many times should I forgive? As many times as you want to be forgiven. That's the answer. How many times? As many times as you want to be forgiven. Because there's a connection. There is a connection between me forgiving and me being forgiven. And let me flip it around the other way because we're going to look at that statement of Jesus. There's a connection between me forgiving and me being forgiven. But there's, flip it around. It makes sense to say there's a connection between me being forgiven and me forgiving. I think that's the point Jesus is making at that last statement. Remember what he said? So also my heavenly Father, this is verse 35, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Why is our forgiveness conditioned on forgiving others? And I know some theology students get nervous when I even ask that question. The question itself seems like heresy. How could our forgiveness be conditioned on anything but his grace? Is that a works theology, Sean? Well, I don't know. In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 12 through 15, Jesus said this, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Okay? Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. That's hard to swallow. That feels like, oh my gosh, our forgiveness then is conditional. I thought it was unconditional. Well, it's, it's unconditional in that there's nothing we can do to earn it as far as works. But understand, forgiveness has two very real biblical conditions. There are two biblical conditions to us being forgiven. They're not works that we have to do, but they're conditions that our heart has to be in. The first is repentance. See, if, remember what repentance is, right? Repentance means I'm walking, doing my thing, I'm committing my sin, I'm, lead, I'm Lord of my own life, and I come to that realization that, man, my way is hurting me, it's hurting God, it's hurting others. God, I don't want that anymore. And we see the error of our way, we see our sin. And we turn. That's what it means to repent. 
we turn and say, God, I don't want my way anymore. I want your way. That's repentance. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that's what repentance is. And here's the deal. If I don't have a repentant heart, the reason I won't be forgiven is not that God doesn't want to forgive me. It's that I don't even ask. I'm not even open to it. I'm literally stiff-arming forgiveness by saying, I don't need to be forgiven. See, a lack of repentance is simply saying, I don't, I don't need forgiveness. I'm, I'm doing fine. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about other people wanting to wallow and whatever, whatever. I, I'm doing fine. I, I'm doing good. I try to be as good as I can. I'm better than, than most. And I don't, need, I don't need God's forgiveness. I don't need that. And truly, there's this sense of an unrepentant heart is an absolute stiff arm to the forgiveness of God. It's not that God doesn't want to. It's that literally he can't because we don't even think we need to be forgiven. And the second condition after repentance is faith or belief. The reality is those who refuse to believe in him, they don't trust that God can or will save them. They don't trust that they need to be saved. Again, it's that idea that, well, I guess some folks need that crutch, but I don't, I'm fine. They refuse to believe that God can save them, so they choose to trust in other things. I'll save myself by my own good works. I'm good enough. I'll save myself by my achievements. I'll find meaning and purpose and and. I'll kind of redeem my life by my acquisitions. Whatever it is, we, we will find some way and we say, I, I don't need God. I don't believe in God. Well, we are literally stiff-arming the salvation that he offers. And when he says this statement, if you forgive other people, Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, the Father will not forgive your sins. What he's saying is an unforgiving heart is a revelation of a heart that won't seek forgiveness. It's the same condition. The unforgiveness tells a story about our heart. The unforgiveness in the story that Jesus told of the wicked servant, his unforgiveness told a story about his heart. The idea is, had he been truly repentant and truly understood what he'd been forgiven, he would have gladly and easily forgiven his brother. But his lack of forgiveness showed something. It showed he didn't walk away from that encounter going, oh my gosh, thank you. I've been given a new chance. I didn't deserve that. He walked away going, whew, I dodged a bullet. (laughs) I always find a way to land on my feet, don't I? And there wasn't an ounce of repentance for his sin or his death. So he didn't think to forgive someone else. See, our willingness to forgive or not to forgive is a reflection of the condition of our heart. Here's the main point. Write this down. A heart that can't give forgiveness is a heart that won't receive forgiveness. That's the secret to understanding this story. And it's the secret to becoming a person who forgives. We all have people who've wounded and offended us. How do you handle that? How do you handle people who've hurt you, who've disappointed you, who've let you down? You don't talk to a group of people this size and not have a pretty good number who right now are struggling to forgive someone someone who legitimately hurt you or overlooked you or maybe maybe it wasn't so legitimate maybe you were just looking to be offended kind of doesn't matter the fact is you carry this burden and i think the secret to being set free is recognizing god's forgiveness 
and his grace and his faithfulness to us so that we can release someone else. A heart that can't give forgiveness is a heart that won't receive forgiveness. A couple of observations and kind of challenges. One, if you're struggling to forgive, you're looking at the wrong person. That's, that's the whole point, right? If you're struggling to forgive, you're looking at the wrong person because you're looking at them. You're looking at their offense. You're looking at what they owe you. And the more you look, the matter you get. Really, the more you look, the matter you get. Here's, you're caught up by looking at them, what they did, and I want to suggest to you, forgiveness begins by changing your focus. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you, this is a specific word from the Lord for you this morning. You need to hear this. Forgiveness begins by changing your focus. Look at these scriptures. Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Look, as God in Christ forgave you. Make note. As God in Christ forgave you. God and you. Let's look at Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The Lord forgave you. See, a key to forgiveness is stop looking at them and start looking at me and the Lord. Stop looking at them. Start looking at me and the Lord. You and the Lord. Because the minute I do that, the minute I stop looking so much at them and that offense and stop getting mad and going over in my head and just kind of rehearsing and just grinding my teeth, losing sleep, the minute I take my eyes off that and start looking at me, wait a minute, I'm a sinner who, I've sure been forgiven a lot. And look at the Lord. Wow, he gave me a lot of grace. Wow, he's been gracious. You start thinking about the, the times when you didn't get what you deserve, the harvest that you haven't reaped, even though you sowed the seeds, the grace that's been extended, the forgiveness that is yours. It changes you. It really does. It immediately becomes harder to hold someone else in judgment. And you begin to, yeah, I guess... Because what's funny is you begin to identify with that person who's sinned against you. You begin to identify as, I was the offender, and I was forgiven. And what's really cool is when you begin to identify with the Lord, I guess if he could be gracious to me, I guess I could be gracious to them. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Storyteller, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.